So we're going to be in Luke 2 today. If you've got a Bible, grab it, open up there, head that way. Merry Christmas. You can tell in our, our liturgy, we're not exactly sure of the order of it, with uh, the fourth week of Advent falling on Christmas Eve. You double up some things and we get a little confused, but uh, I think from here on out we've got to figure it out. So we should be good. So uh, we are celebrating what the uh, church throughout history has referred to as Advent. This is a a Latin word that constantly in my life I've had to be reminded what it means. Every year it comes around, I'm like, Advent, what's that mean again? Um, coming, arrival, that's what it means. It's a reference to uh, the coming of, of God to dwell among his creation. It's a, uh, the birth of Christ. That's what we mean when we use the word Advent. Now, I know many of you are excited about tomorrow morning. You're going to get to be opening gifts and uh, have all kinds of new stuff. Uh, parents are often excited to know... Uh, uh, for, to see the excitement on their children's faces as they open these things. And, and children are excited to finally realize or find out what's in that one big box they've been looking at for a while now. And, uh, you know, the, the, the new things that we are receiving at Christmas time are, are fantastic. Uh, it can be a, a lot of fun to get these gifts, at least for a, a little while. Uh, eventually, these gifts we get will break. Uh, unfortunately, for some of your parents particularly, it's going to happen before lunch tomorrow. Uh, it's just the way it goes. Uh, or if you don't break right away, you eventually just become bored with the gifts. Uh, or you find yourself realizing they don't actually deliver what you thought they were going to be. I can remember as a, a kid, you know, even action figures, thinking it doesn't fly, and on the commercial it was flying, and <clears throat> just being disappointed. Nothing is quite what it promised it would do. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'll, I'll mention this, you know, this morning. Uh, be realistic about your gifts. Enjoy them, but, but know they will not forgive, or, or not forgive you. They won't forgive you. They will not fulfill you. Uh, this morning, though, what I really want us to do, what I think is good for our hearts as, uh, as Christians, as, as those that are gathering as the church, that uh, is really to turn our hearts and to gaze at the reality uh, of the one gift given by God, which will not break, will never, ever get boring, and actually fulfills what it was promised to do long, long ago. In other words, the coming of Jesus Christ to dwell among man is glorious. And I want us to take a little time and just look at how glorious God is from the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And so we're going to uh, begin in verse 8. <clears throat> we're just going to go through verse 20 today. And uh, that way we can make it to the brunch at some point. Uh, but let me explain how we get to this point before we start reading in verse 8. Uh, Joseph, who is the, the earthly father of Jesus, not his biological but earthly father, lived in the, the town of Nazareth, uh, but he was from the town of Bethlehem, and so he, uh, you know, which was on this large hill. And so when the government said that there was going to be a registration, which is basically uh, a big census, he had to go back to the town he was from. And so Mary, who is the, uh, the woman he was engaged to and who was pregnant at this time, they had to travel back to the town, to his hometown. It's a lot like we do today as we travel home to wherever we're from often. Uh, and like I said, she was pregnant, which was the work of the Holy Spirit, but certainly would not have looked that way to the people they met along the way, to the people in his hometown. Uh, and it's always intrigued me, you know, this, uh, that when God comes to live among his people, comes to, to dwell with us, he, he could have just appeared, right? A, a 21-year-old uh, handsome, strong uh, guy. And, and yet he begins his humanity 
At the very same place, every one of us also began our humanity, our existence. He begins as this tiny zygote in the, in the womb of his mother. That's the way God chooses to come and dwell among his people. <clears throat> so anyway, here's the greatest event in the history of the world. And it occurs in this, this obscure town with hardly anyone aware of it. And in fact, uh, due to the inn that was already filled up, which you know this story, and the fact that Airbnb had not yet been uh, invented, uh, the two of them find themselves staying in this, this room that mostly housed animals, or at times would house animals. Um, and then Jesus is born and he's laid in a manger. How many of you took your firstborn child and laid him in a manger? Good. Good for you. Um, I, you know, most of my life, I didn't know what the word manger went. I always pictured it as the big stable thing that would go over. Uh, the manger is actually the, the trough. It's a, a feeding thing for, for animals. You farmers know that. Uh, if you were to make it today, you know, children, to make sense out of this, it would be like uh, if a, a baby was born and, and your mother decided to put him in a big dog bowl. Um, that's kind of the idea here. It's a, a little strange, and yet it's included in the story. And, then, and we're kind of just seeing this, this humble beginnings of the mightiest, most powerful child ever born. Uh, so let's read Luke 2, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. <clears throat> when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for the gift of your Son who came to dwell among us as a baby and who gave his life on the cross as a man so that every man, woman, and child who looks to him with faith can rest assured that our sin is forgiven and our eternal home awaits us. Give us wonder at the glorious incarnation today that we may never, ever grow tired of the good news that comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. So like I said, Jesus is, is born in this obscure city to, to very simple parents. They weren't dirt poor, uh, but we do know that they didn't have a whole lot of money because in verse 24, which we didn't read, but if you got it open, you can look there. In verse 24, when they go to the temple to offer a sacrifice according to the, uh, the law, what, what it says they take with them are the two turtle doves and, and two pigeons. And uh, according to Leviticus 12:8, where that law is actually written for the people of God at that time, um, they, the, the pigeons and, and, and the turtle doves were to be offered by any mother who could not afford to sacrifice a lamb. 
Um, so that's why they were, were bringing these instead of a lamb. There is this, you know, this, there's some providential irony here that the mother of the child who would be called the lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice, that she could not afford to bring a lamb to that child's um, temple, temple after his birth. Uh, I guess it's ironic. Maybe it's just more beautiful that our God works this way. Uh, the first thing we see in our passage today is that God sends an angel to announce the birth of Christ, and that doesn't surprise us. Angels are often making these announcements. It might surprise us, though, that Jesus isn't born to powerful parents, and now, you know, God doesn't send his angel to make this announcement to powerful people either. It doesn't go to the, the social or religious or political elite to announce this historic birth. And instead, he sends this heralding angelic creature uh, to these shepherds out in a field. <clears throat> I think it'd be easy to step back and wonder what was the point of that. Uh, these are shepherds. We don't think much about them. Uh, every profession we know does carry with it some reputation today. We, we tend to think of, uh, you know, doctors tend to be respected because of their intelligence. Social workers tend to be respected because of their compassion. But, but, but lawyers have a different reputation, don't they? Um, right or wrong, they certainly do. Uh, <clears throat> used car salesmen, politicians, uh, every profession has some sort of uh, reputation. And you and I both know that not all used car salesmen are shady and not all politicians are corrupt, but because some of them have been, uh, because some salesmen are shady and because some politicians are corrupt, this reputation becomes part of that profession. And so you've got to understand that the, the shepherd's reputation was that they weren't the most respected in Jewish culture, Jewish society. In fact, their testimony, their being a witness in a court case was inadmissible. The assumption was that just they couldn't possibly tell the truth. And so they couldn't even, even admit something. Uh, they couldn't hold public office. They were thought to be thieves and liars and unintelligent. In fact, uh, uh, an ancient Jewish author, Jeremiah, not Jeremiah the prophet, but Jeremiah, uh, had this to say. He said, there's no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. <clears throat> I'm going to assume he didn't know a lot of reputations or uh, occupations based on that. But uh, you get the general idea that there's just not a high respect in this regard. And what we find is God doesn't care about reputation because he sends his angel to these men in this field. And you got to remember, it's, it's night. There were, there were no lights like we have outside at, at night, you know. There weren't the city lights glowing. There weren't street lights. It was absolutely dark, really, really dark at night. And, and what we find is the shepherds would build these pens. These are some of these interesting things to see. Um, so the night would come, and they'd gather up these rocks, and they'd build these little, little walls, kind of like the one in the, the Shanahan's backyard, if you've ever been over there. And there'd be one entrance to this pen, and, and they would herd the sheep into this pen, and then at night the shepherd would sleep, right there in the doorway, so that if a sheep had to go over him to get out, and they would grab it and keep it there. Uh, the other shepherds would sleep somewhere else in the, uh, through the night, and, and they would guard these sheep at night. And so it's dark, and it's quiet, and, and suddenly there is this creature before them that they've never seen before. Not even in pictures, right? Um, you can imagine, right? You know, you ever, you ever been startled by someone? Just the, the, the fear in that moment? Uh, I, I do this to my son all the time, Beckham. I, I don't know why I do it. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's some sort of compulsion, I guess. 
uh, but I'll, I'll hide in the closet and I'll stay in there way too long just for the moment when I can jump out and make him like crumble to the ground in, in fear. Um, it, it's just fun. The other day he, he went outside, it was dark at night, and he goes into the garage, and I see this opportunity, and so I just run in the garage, ah, screaming at him, and he just starts hopping there, just paralyzed from, from this moment, you know, he nearly peed his pants, and it was wonderful. Um, so I know I, I've got issues, and I'm just, I'm thankful Christine Durrett's not here to do some psychoanalysis on me today. Uh, anyway, uh, as scary it is for Beckham in these moments when I jump out and I, I scare him, you know, in the darkness, at least there is this relief in that moment when, when he says, oh, it's dad, okay, I'm not, you know, it's, I'm not going to be you know, killed by whatever this thing is in this moment. Um, and there's that relief of, okay, it's not as bad as I thought it would. But the shepherds here, they don't get that, right? You have the initial like, ah, there's a, an angel here. But then you're still just like, ah, there's an angel here. There, there, there's no, like, let up here. And, uh, you know, this, this light that we're told. Uh, and, and so you can imagine, even if this creature is beautiful, what a terrifying moment that would be. And it says there in, in verse 9, that the glory of the Lord shone around them. You ever wonder what the glory of the Lord looks like? Um, it's from a, a Hebrew word, kavod, initially. And it's not what you think. Uh, the word means weight, like like heavy, something, you know, weigh it down. Um, that's the reason C.S. Lewis, you know, if you ever noticed the title of that book, The, the Weight of Glory. There's this, this heaviness that, that, that makes its presence known, right? Um, God's glory is like, uh, you know, the 16-pound the bowling ball that smashes into the, the 10 pens that God's glory changes things. In fact, God's glory changes everything. And so it comes, you know, from this, this word for weight, but if you ever look through, through the scriptures, Old Testament, New, that um, when, when the glory of God is described, it's described as a, a, a brightness, right? This dazzling, bright light. It's, it's luminous. And uh, in Revelation 21, verses 20 through 22 through 23, there's this future picture of an eternal city, and, and, and there we, we see just the magnitude of just how luminous the glory of, of God can be. It says there, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and it lights, and its lamp is the is the lamb. And and yet, on this eventful night, the glory of God shines, and the angels appear out of nowhere. And, and the experience for the shepherds is exactly what we might expect, as we've already kind of noted that you know they were filled with great fear. From if you notice in Scripture that every time someone uh, gets a glimpse of the glory of God. Anytime they get even just a little glimpse of God's glory, they, they also get this better understanding of themselves. I think of the, the prophet Isaiah in the chapter 6 of the book by his name, when, when he looks upon the, the Lord on his throne, and, and suddenly he just finds himself broken and fearful, and, and the weight of seeing God's glory leads him to say, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When, when we see God's glory, even just a little bit, we, we realize that we are not as good 
We are not as pure, as kind, as moral, as strong, or anything else that we might actually think that we are. You see, because in you, when you find that comparison, we now see God's holiness. We now see his, his strength and, and just the weight of his presence. And, and we know, <clears throat> we, we just know, I am nothing compared to God in this moment. I am nothing compared to God in any moment. It's, it, it, it's like any parent, you know. If you ever uh, played your, your, one of your children in basketball, I'll say young children because you could definitely take your dad out. Um, but you're playing a young child in basketball. It doesn't matter if you're good or not. You can absolutely destroy them, right? I can out-dribble them. Uh, I'm like a Harlem Globetrotter for a moment. Out-shoot, out-rebound. I can absolutely destroy my children in basketball. All three of them at once. They can get two of their little friends, and I would beat them all. Uh, and, and you see this, and it's kind of this, it's easy to think, I am amazing at basketball. Look at me. I got 40 points. But, but what would happen if, you know, James Harden or LeBron James or, for you old people, Magic Johnson, I don't know, you know, steps onto the court suddenly, suddenly you'd realize, you know, I am a pathetic basketball player. I have zero points. I, I, am, I am just pathetic at this game. Uh, you know, even those of you who are pretty good would have that experience. And, and with the glory of God, men and women realize that the distance between God and ourselves is much wider than we ever dreamed it was, ever imagined. In, in other words, when the glory of God shines lights on our situation, we are absolutely exposed. We are laid bare. Uh, it, it's like in Luke 5 through 5 8. Uh, Peter's there. You might remember this is early on. And uh, Jesus tells them to throw out these nets. And they're like, We already tried and nothing came up. And, and suddenly they pull up these nets where Jesus threw them. And the fish are coming into this boat. And their boat is starting to sink uh, because of how many fish they are catching. And, and you kind of think Peter's going to you know, say something like, Wow, that's really cool. Uh, you know, or I'm just amazed by it. Instead, what we find is that Peter, uh, it says this Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He kind of saw the glory of God here in Christ doing something so amazing. And he just became absolutely aware of his own unworthiness. And so that's the shepherds here. It's not just fear because something shone up out of the darkness and, and scared them, but, but they're seeing the glory of God. And, and, and so, the, you know, that's kind of what's happening here. And so the angels tell the shepherds, don't be afraid. You kind of think, but really? Why is that going to take my fear away? You know, if I'm the shepherd in this moment, I'm, I'm thinking, why should I not be afraid? You're, you're an angel. And it's bright here. And I don't know what electricity is. And, and we're in the middle of a dark field. And because you're, you're in front of me, suddenly he knows, okay, God is real. And, and he has reason to be afraid. And, and here's this angel telling him, don't be afraid in this moment. Well, the angels give a reason, right? Um, you see it there in verse 10, if you've got your Bibles open. Uh, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And what exactly is that good news? It says there in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ Jesus, Christ the Lord. Do you notice that there's, there's three titles given to Jesus just there in that one verse, verse 11? Um, he, he's called a Savior. You know, a, a Savior is just someone who, who rescues another from, from great danger. 
And when the angel, you know, visits Jesus' father in a dream, it's recorded in Matthew 121, and uh, when the angel goes there and, and he tells him about Mary, he says that, um, that Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will, for he will save his people from their sins. He's a savior. We also see here that Jesus is called the Christ. That's not a last name. Uh, another one of those confusing things growing up. And uh, that's not his last name. It's the Greek version of a Hebrew word that means Messiah, which I guess means it's the uh, Greek word for Messiah. You can just leave Hebrew out of there. Um, It's a a title for uh, the one who was prophesied in the Old Testament that would rescue his people, God's people. And then even as a a baby, he's given this third title of Lord, right? Um, One with authority. Um, it's, a, it's a name that is often used to describe the Lord God Almighty. That's, that's what it's doing in this passage here as well. It's describing the Lord God Almighty. This, this Messiah, this, this Savior being born is good news for everyone who knows they are a sinner. And I, I want to make this point that it's good that you know you're a sinner. And I, I say this because I know some of us really will we'll beat ourselves up for the sin in our lives. You know, kind of that, I I messed up again, I failed again, why did I say this, why did I do that? And you just start to get so beat down on your constant uh, failure in the ways that that you want to live. I'm saying you you don't need to do that. Sure, sure, we want to be seeing victory over sin. Sure, we, we want to be engaged in the battle against sin in our life. Don't ever lose sight of that, you know, but but I, but I want you to know that the fact that you are aware of your sin, that's a gift of the Lord. Because Jesus came to save sinners like you. You. Like me. Um, a- after all, you know, we, we talk of these terms, saints and sinners, but uh, what, what is a, a saint? But, you know, a saints are simply sinners who confess they are sinners. And who look to Jesus with faith for the forgiveness of sins. That's, that's what a saint is. And so don't be discouraged when, when you're aware of your sin. Because, you know, the, the only thing worse than, than being stuck in quicksand is to not know you're in quicksand. Um, but when you know you're in quicksand, you can cry out for help. And, and that's the condition we find ourselves as humans. So in our text today here, the the angels tell the shepherds how to recognize the baby Jesus, right? Um, And and then suddenly there's this uh, multitude of heavenly hosts. You know what that means? It's more angels. Uh, It's it's hard to get your head around here. And Revelation talks about the angels singing, and it talks about uh, thousands and thousands of angels. And I don't know if we ever think of them this this quantity, but you have this one angel before you as the shepherd, and then suddenly behind him, I guess, just you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of angels show up behind him. You just, you just can't imagine this, you know? Um, <clears throat> it's like a, a massive choir of these angelic beings, and, and we see what they're saying there in verse, verse 14. They're saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What a sight. And I say we can't imagine it, and yet according to Revelation Someday we're going to get to see this ourselves. Um, Something very similar with the thousands of angels singing. And so then the angels leave and these shepherds decide they're going to go see the Messiah. Uh, And we don't think much of that, right? They just head on over to to Bethlehem. Um, They likely had to to leave their sheep, though, or or bring them with them, neither of which is a real good option. 
Um, you know, those of you with pets or children understand it's not as easy just to travel sometimes. You have to bring all these, make arrangements. Uh, but they go. And when they find Mary and Joseph, they share what the angels told them, uh, causing all who heard it to, to wonder. All of them except for Mary, who it says uh, pondered these things in her heart. Uh, what a strange thing for God in, in flesh to be her child. Uh, I think because of what the Catholics have done with Mary, we, we tend to just ignore her and not really think about her experience much. Uh, you know, today it, it sounds crazy to people to say God came down as a, a child. If you go out on the streets, most people are just going to think that's a, a crazy story. Uh, you can imagine this sounded crazy to Mary as well. Uh, she was, you know, you only imagine then just, just how reassuring it was to have these strangers come in and, and confirm uh, a message that an angel had told her many, many months before, but suddenly here's someone else uh, sharing the same message. Um, and, and I love the way this passage ends. You, you've all visited babies, right? Uh, they don't do a whole lot. They mostly just sit there. And uh, that's it. Baby Jesus would have been the same way. Uh, they've been traveling in, and they want to see this baby, and, well, there he is. Um, he would have done what, you know, baby Ezra Nehemiah did today. Just kidding, I did it on purpose. Um, they don't do much, though, right? Just feeding and crying and pooping and do it again. Uh, that's the humanity. That's, that's what the, the, the baby, baby, you know, Christ as a child would have done. And yet, and yet the shepherds understood that the, the future hope that this child would fulfill, and, and we see this in the way that they leave, right? Verse 20, our last one, it says, glorifying and praising God. Who knows what these shepherds were doing when the angels showed up, Right? They're, they're out there. They're, they're sitting there. They might have been sleeping. They might have been telling dumb stories. Um, just being guys. And, and suddenly these angels come. And, and then we see this, you know, after they come, they, they go away praising God. You know, maybe they've known something of, uh, uh, of this prediction, this, this uh, prophecy from, from their own childhood. But, but now they've actually encountered that Messiah, and, and they're forever changed. Kind of like, uh, you remember in John 4, 42, uh, the, the woman at the well who, who believes in Jesus after this long conversation, uh, and, and then she tells her whole village about Jesus, and, and they, you know, are coming out to meet him, and after they meet him and spend time around Christ, they, they have this to say. They, they say to her, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That's, that's what the shepherds have come to believe in, about this child they've just visited. That he is indeed the savior of the world who would save God's chosen people. Now, now you'd think these, these shepherds would, would kind of quit shepherding at this point in their life, right? Uh, we're done with this. We're going to go be missionaries now because we've encountered the Christ. And I love that there's nothing in the passage to make us think they did that. They went back to what they were doing, back to being shepherds, um, back to the same job, but with a completely new understanding of the world in which they live, and, and their hearts are now overflowing and, and praise to God. And so the way they would have done their job was changed completely, right? But they go back to what they were doing. And so this, this is the advent. This is the coming of of Jesus Christ to dwell among mankind in flesh and in history. And the reason 
is so that the God of the universe can be at peace with us. Sometimes we get so settled into our understanding of Christian doctrine that we miss the fact that the God of the universe through Christ is at peace with you. See, if you, if you know that your sins are forgiven in Christ this Christmas, today, tomorrow, rest in that. Rejoice in that. Don't forget that. You know, understand that this is a gift that cannot be taken away from you no matter what else happens in your life. Ever. And, and if that's not you, I, I want you to know that <clears throat> this child who was laid in a manger, that what we talk about, this, this baby Jesus, that he, that he grew up, that he did miracles, that he proclaimed forgiveness, and, and that he died on a cross as a perfect sacrifice, and, and that forgiveness is for all who will trust in Jesus by grace through faith alone. I'm telling you, if you don't know it, this, this is where you find hope. This is where you find peace with the God who made you. And so then tomorrow as we wake up and we, we play with these new gifts and as we eat wonderful food and we enjoy fellowship with, with, with family, let us not forget that God has come into the world to save us from our sin and thus he has met our greatest need. He has given us the greatest gift the world has ever seen, the forgiveness of our sin. And so may our hearts be grateful this day for the gift of a Savior. Let us pray.